Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire, that a man had risen from the dead, that death could not hold him. Christ is alive. Oh, you have the right words. You sing the right songs, but your heart is not right. And you can honor it is humbling yourself and being broken by the power. The Christ became so involved in things that we forgot about that. That is the danger concerning us now. Well, hello to my Victory Church family. We're so excited that you're with us today. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus. That's okay. Uh, Edmund Campus, I love you. Uh, it's an honor to be with you today, those of you watching online. I'm not going to mess around. You know that I'm glad you're here, and, and uh, hopefully you're glad I'm here. Let's, let's go into the Word, all right? Revelation. Go to the book of Revelation. Yeah, I said it. We're going to the book of Revelation, all right? So open up your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Revelation. We're going to continue this series called Awake. And we started this last week. I'm, aren't you thankful that Jesus is not only awake, he's still awake? Uh, we can face tomorrow because he lives. This was a song. I'm so glad we sang the song today. I had the song on repeat last year through COVID when sometimes we were thinking through, man, what else do we have to endure? I would just turn on the song because he lives. I can face tomorrow. So I'm just thankful that he lives. We're awake. Aren't you awake this morning? Come on, elbow your neighbor and say, wake up. We're going to have a good day today. So go to the book of Revelation. So this is going to be a, an encouraging word for you. Revelation chapter 3, and this is a, one of the churches in, Re, in, the, in the early chapters of Revelation. Uh, there are these letters that are written to the churches, seven churches. And we're going to look at one of those letters today because we are a church. And, and we can learn from, from all of these letters, but particularly I want to focus in on one of them today. So Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 says this. It says, to the angel of the church of Sardis write, these are the words of him. Now, who is him? We're going to talk about that. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I would propose to you that this is Jesus, that these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of him. And I want to show you this real quick. I want to pause and go back to chapter one just to kind of set this up to prove to you that, okay? Um, hopefully you believe me, but just in case you don't. Okay, chapter one, verse 17 uh, says this, it says, when I saw him, this is John writing, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades, that's good news, y'all, verse 19, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he's writing letters to these seven lampstands, this illustration of a lampstand, which is simply a light. Lampstands provide light in a dark place, the church. And so he's writing these letters to the seven churches. And uh, the, these seven churches are, are in what would be, is, is in minor Asia, which is modern day Turkey. 
Okay, these seven churches were spread all, all through this, this area in Asia Minor. And so now, now that we know that this is Jesus, I want to go back to chapter 3. Okay, I just needed to pause there. Now let's go back to the, to the writings of chapter 3. It continues. This is Jesus' words. It says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And then verse 2, he says, wake up. So it's like Jesus' exclamation point to the church of Sardis. Hey, church, wake up. He's saying, wake up to the church of Sardis. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled uh, let, let you have a, a few people who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit of God is trying to communicate with his church. And this is a, a passage of scripture that is for the seven churches, but it's also to the church of today. It's, it's to you and I. And the message that Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis, that's the title of my message, his message is simply, wake up, church. Wake up. Uh, let's pray. We'll dive into this. Lord, uh, we submit our minds to you. Uh, we submit all of our attention to you. Uh, from the children in the room to, the, to the, those who are not children, who are elderly, all, all in between, Father. All of our attention is focused in on you, and we, we allow you to come and convict. We allow you to come and speak, and today we don't want to read the Bible. We want the Bible to read us, and so we pray that it would do so. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's almost like Jesus is giving this halftime speech uh, to the church of Sardis. Uh, I remember my, my college basketball coach, he attends... Uh, Victory Church, he comes to this church, and, and he's, he's kind of a calm, real quiet man, but I remember this really vividly. One time, I think it was my sophomore year, we were playing this team that we should have just stomped into the ground. We should have demolished them, and for some reason, they were beating us at halftime, and we were all just kind of in the locker room, and coach, coach comes storming through the door, kicked the door open, and started throwing stuff, and we were all like, oh my gosh, what is going on, and it got our attention. And he was saying, basically what he was saying is, wake up. What he was communicating to us is, you guys are better than this. <laughs> he was saying, I know the capacity at which I've trained you for. I know what you're capable of because I've seen the capabilities. We've practiced this. We've worked on this. Get your head out of your bleep, right? And he didn't say that. It was a Christian university. He, <laughs> he might have said that, though. I'm just going to say but he was saying, wake up. And it's almost like that's what the church is saying to, that's what Jesus is saying to the church. He's saying, wake up, church. Now, I want to stop before you get excited and start clapping. Because sometimes we think the church is this proverbial, far distant, like there's a group of people that get together and there's a committee, you know. We're like, yeah, the church needs the blank. And we don't even know who that is going to. We're just like, yeah, the church needs to. And we're just kind of shouting these commands to some unknown abyss, you know, but if you study the teachings of Jesus and the early church in the book of Acts, you'll find really quickly that the church is us. 
that, that we are the church. And yes, there's an organization called the church. And yes, there's some shifts and some changes that the church needs to go to. And I understand what you're saying in that. But I want you to know just for the context of this message, that this message is for you and me. Okay, so Jesus is saying, wake up to the church. We need to understand first and foremost that we are the church. Now, before we dive into this, I want to give context uh, to help it identify with us. Uh, the church of Sardis was a city named Sardis, and it was an ancient city. City, it all goes all the way back. You can study it for yourself if you so choose. It goes all the way back to even as far back as 1020 BC. And it really came on the map when a king of, of, Lydian, of Lydia named King Croesus became the king around 560 B.C. or so. And it became this powerhouse city. Uh, it, it, over the centuries, it's been conquered over and over and over and over again uh, by many, many nations. Alexander the Great defeated it. The Persians defeated it. Rome ended up taking it over uh, time and time again all through history. The Macedonians Rome ended up taking it. There was a massive earthquake in 17 BC. That's way more information than you were thinking about. But layer after layer, by the way, if you ever go to Israel, you'll go to these ancient cities and they call them tells. It just, it just looks like a big mound in the middle of nowhere. It's a, they call them tells. And what's caused those tells or the, or the stacking, so to speak, of these big plateaus in the middle of nowhere is cities will conquer the previous city and they'll build on top of that city. And then they'll get conquered and they'll build on top of that city. And just over the centuries, it builds and builds and builds. And you'll go to these tells and they'll be like, it looks like they cut a slice of pie out of the side of this tell. And that's where the archaeologists go in and they look at it. It's like a seven-layer dip. They go in and they're like, okay, this century, this, these conquered and they'll find all the artifacts. And then they'll dig down another layer and they'll find the next one. They'll dig down and find the next one. And Sardis is like that. It's been conquered over and over again. But really, it became known... Uh, in, in about 500, in the 500s of, of BCs when King Croesus was there, it became known because it became very wealthy. Uh, there was actually a city, there was actually a river that flowed through or next to the city, and it, it, had, it was filled with gold. In fact, they began to call the city the glittering city or the glittering, glittering river next to the city because they would, they would pull so much gold out of it. In fact, King Croesus was the very first to ever coin gold. He's the very first one to ever take gold and actually make it into a coin that would then be traded. Very, very wealthy city. This city was actually uh, on the side of a mountain. It was about 5,800 feet. And so uh, if you go back and study historians, historians called this city the undefeatable city. It was wealthy, had more wealth than any, anybody had ever seen before, and they said that it was unconquerable had the, just because of its location. And I begin to think about even how Sardis in some ways relates to where we are. We live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, by the way, right? Somebody's excited about living in the wealthy nation. We should be, we're blessed, right? Some also say that we live in the undefeated, undefeatable nation. We have the strongest military in the history of the world. But I begin to think about the similarities and Jesus is coming to Sardis and he's talking to them he's challenging them and i would just propose as citizens of the united states of america we have a lot of similarities to sardis and if he's speaking to the church of sardis then perhaps he's speaking to us and so with this being said i want to just dive into this there's about three things from this text i want to pull some things out of this text and just preach them to us as the church where you are the church and see what pops to us okay so we're all going to go into this with our with our eyes wide open and i just want to say you're all little geniuses 
you're great. You're smart. You, you know the word of God, many of you. And so there's no way I could ever dive into this to the depths that, that we need to. So my goal today is just to sprinkle a little bit on you to bring you some curiosity to make you want to dive in to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me uh, through this text? All right. So number one, from first message of Jesus to us in the kingdom of God, write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, all that glitters is not gold. Now I want to show this to you. Let's go back to this text, Revelation 3.1. This is Jesus. He says, I know your deeds and you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. For a city that was first known for their gold, Jesus says, I see past the gold and all the glitters is not gold. You're glittering. You glitter real nice. But there's other stuff. I see your deeds. This word deeds in the Greek is the Greek word ergon, and it means business. I like that. Jesus is saying, I know your business. He's like, I'm all up in your business, in fact. I know, I know all about your business. And it's, it's very similar to what the Lord told Samuel. Whenever Samuel went to anoint King David as the next king, and he saw the other brothers, he's like, there's the tall guy. That must be him. And he said, no. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And this is what Jesus is saying. I've looked at the church of Sardis, and from the outside looking in, man, you guys look good. But he said, on the inside, you're dead. You're dead. And we need to understand this principle, this, understand this. So Christ, Christ emphasizes the wide chasm between the appearance of the church of Sardis and the appearance of the people within it. And he saw the dichotomy and the, and the difference there. In the New King James, it says it this way. New King James reason, version, it reads it this way. Jesus says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So I love this word because he says, you have a name. He's like, you've tried really hard to make a name for yourself. And you have. And you're known by that name. You're known as the city of gold. You're known as the glittering city. You're known as undefeatable, but I know on the inside, this church in Sardis is dead. It's dead. And he comes to point this out to them. He comes to dig this out of them. And so remember what it says in the, in the, in the, in the city of Babel, whenever with the tower of Babel, remember this, when God comes down, it says this in Genesis eleven four. it says, then he said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And this is what they said, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Jesus is coming to confront the church of Sardis to tell them you're building the wrong kingdom. You become obsessed with building a name for yourself. You become consumed with what I believe Jesus is saying, you've become consumed with the wrong definition of success. The wrong definition of success. And, and I am deeply deeply convicted by this as a pastor on an ongoing basis. When I first became a lead pastor uh, of a large church, I didn't really know. I, I don't feel like I went into being a lead pastor. Uh, I was just kind of thrown in the deep end and said, let's see if he can swim. And if he can't, we'll just find somebody else. And so, <laughs> and so I just kind of was engulfed into pastoring very quickly. And I became engulfed in the megachurch world very quickly to where I began to have the wrong definition of success. And I begin to become consumed with the idea that if your church isn't growing, and if your church isn't a certain size, and if you don't have a certain amount of campuses, then you're failing as a pastor. Because I had become prone to the temptation of making a name for myself. 
And this is a really deep conviction of mine, and I actually believe, I'm going to say something really transparent, and this is important as believers, that you understand that all that glitters is not gold. Because I could build a church, let me, let me say it this way, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day, I could actually create a church, I could create an amazing worship experience that all of you would leave going, oh, that was amazing. And I could do it without God's involvement. And many Christians would never know the difference. Here's what I'd do. For the gray people in the room, gray-haired people in the room, I'm going to dabble little hymns in there for you. Mm, you're going to like that. Now I've got to reach the young people, so I'm going to get some skinny jeans and some pointy-toed shoes on the, on the platform. And I'm going to get some cool lights. If, I, if I'm one of those churches that has it, I'll get a couple of LED walls. That'll be attractive. You guys will be like, wow, this is what happened in place. Oh, and we're going to serve free coffee. Oh, snap, free coffee, okay. And donuts. Wait, what? Donuts? <laughs> and then I could, I could, you know, have a cool little transition video and be like, wow, did you see that video? That was awesome. And then I could rip some sermon that I saw somebody else preach. I could have some really cool illustrations on stage and say a bunch of stuff that rhymes and post it on social media. And as long as it rhymes, it must be from the Bible. And people would walk out of here like, wow, I kind of like that church. And I might not have asked God one time what he wanted to do. All the glitters is not gold. And on the outside, we can appear. This is what Jesus is telling the church, the church of Sardis. Your name in the community is really good. Like you're like from the outside looking in, everyone thinks you're alive. But Jesus says, but I know your business. I know your business. And he comes to do this to us individually because we're good at putting it on, right? I, in the same way that, that the church could trick people about, about building a great church, we can trick people in our own lives really easily. How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Everything's great. How are the kids? Kids are great. Everything's great. But Jesus is like, but I know your business. I know your business. And Jesus comes to confront the church of Sardis the same way he comes to confront us. I love what this theologian George Eldon Ladd said. He said, the church of Sardis is a picture of nominal Christianity, outwardly prosperous, busy with externals of religious activity, but devoid of spiritual life and power. Paul said it this way. Paul was speaking about the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He said, but mark this. He's saying, mark my words. There will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes on to describe the last days. People will be lovers of money, uh, lovers of themselves. Think, think, see if this tunes in to where we're at. They'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I hope my kids are watching right now. Did you see that? Like, if your kids are with you, elbow them right there. Disobedient to their parents. I like how Paul just kind of threw that in there. Um, let me help you all out, parents ungrateful, holy, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, uh, uh, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now watch verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then Paul concludes by saying, have nothing to do with these people. Have nothing to do with these people. He's saying all the glitters is not gold. And as believers, we need to be able to decipher what this looks like. You know how they, how they determine if gold is real sometimes in, in, in real life? Number one, they ask the question, does it float? Does it float? Because um, gold don't float. 
Okay? Sometimes they may ask, does it rust? Because gold don't rust. What does that mean? Whatever you're following, whatever you're, however you're living, is it a fad? Is it going to last? Because we, we know that, that Jesus is forever. He's the Alpha and Omega. It's going to last forever. So is it gold? Is it gold? Does, does it last? Does it start to rust? If it starts to rust, and it, then it was a fad. It's a fad. Okay? Third way is they turn up the heat. They turn up the heat. You want to know if something's gold? You just put it under fire, and it'll tell you real quick if it's going to be gold or not. And sometimes I wonder if uh, what's happening in our nation is that God may just be turning, turning up the heat a little bit. And one of the best ways to f- purify the church, one of the best ways to purify our heart is to turn up the heat. And that's going to find out that all the glitters is not gold. And I'm praying for our nation. I'm praying that, that it's, it's redeemed, it's restored back to its original intent. I believe that wholeheartedly. And we should fight for that. We should, we should pray for that. We should vote for that. But I also wonder sometimes if God isn't turning up the heat. You know, God wants to know if, if, if you'll still go to church when you're not allowed to go to church. God wants to know if you'll still tithe when you don't get a tax contribution statement at the end of the year. That'll purify. I, I was talking to, to um, uh, the gentleman from, from Sweden, Joachim, that was with us several weeks ago. And he said, I said, what's the biggest difference between America and Sweden? And, and he said, you know, in, in, in America, it seems popular to be a Christian. Like if you're asked, everyone would just say, even if they're not, they would say, yeah, I'm a Christian or I'm Catholic. They just kind of throw out something there to, to fit in. He said, in Sweden, it's actually the opposite. He said, if you come to church in Sweden you'll be persecuted. To, to become a Christian is not popular. To, to, in the same, he said in the same way that in America, that if you come out of the closet, you, there was a time, maybe not now, there was a time when you'd be ridiculed. He said in Sweden, you have to come out of the closet as a Christian because when you do, you will lose your job. You will lose the promotion. You will be persecuted. You will be condemned. It's not famous. It's not popular. It's not, it's not kosher to be a believer in Sweden. And so I wonder if sometimes God doesn't turn up the heat to, to purify our hearts a little bit. So Jesus is telling the church of, of, of Sardis, he said, all the, all the glitters is not gold. And we are responsible for making sure the fire is heated in our heart. Okay? That's really what this boils down to. Forget the church. Forget all that for just a minute. This is about us. We, we are the church. So I'm responsible for making sure the fire, in, in, Le, in Leviticus, it talks about the law, and on the altar, they always had to have the fire burning. In Leviticus, Leviticus 6.13, it says the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. In Romans 12.11, Paul writes, never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. You are responsible for making sure the fire is lit in your heart. When the fire is lit in your heart, the You'll, you'll know what's golden. You'll, you'll know what is gold and what is not gold because it is purifying us on a continual basis. So number one, Jesus says all the glitters is not gold. And number two, Jesus calls us out and checks our deeds, but then he follows it up with good news. Look at your neighbor and say, thank the Lord. Good news, because so far, John, this has been super depressing. Can we say something good? Because, man, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Number two, it's not too late. So Jesus is like, hey, I call your bluff. I know your deeds. You appear alive, but you're dead. And everyone's like, oh. But then he, but then he goes on by, to say this in verse 2. He says, wake up 
Then he says some good news. Strengthen what remains. He's saying it's not too late. I I know I just called you out, and that's kind of convicting. But remember, we talked about this several weeks ago, conviction's a blessing. Conviction is a good thing. Jesus is saying, hey, it's not too late. Just wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not too late. He says, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. So he says, wake up. This word wake up in the Greek means to watch, to give strict attention to. In fact, this is the same. When Jesus says, wake up, church of Sardis, it's the same Greek word that he used in the Garden of Gethsemane when he walked to his disciples and said, hey, stay awake. Stay awake. Pray with me. Stay awake. And then he says, strengthen. In the Greek, this word strengthen means to make stable, to place firmly, to fix, to render constant one's mind. He's saying it's going to be a battle. And you got to strengthen it. Uh, in the church, sometimes we're guilty of doing one of two things, right? We swing the pendulum way over here and we say, it's all grace. You can never do anything wrong. You just go have fun with your life and God's grace is going to cover it. Grace covers a multitude of sin, you know. Or we swing the pendulum all the way over here and you can't watch movies. You can't tie your shoelaces unless you ask Jesus first. You know, we just get super legalistic. And what I feel like Jesus is saying is saying, just strengthen it. Strengthen what remains in you. And he doesn't even get into specifics, and I think it's good that he didn't. Because the problem is, is that we all struggle with different things, and we all become weak in certain areas. He's saying, so, so just whatever area of your faith you've become weak in, I want you to strengthen it. And what God's saying is, hey, I love you right where you're at. I love you. You cannot earn more of my love. It's not about gaining God's love. I love you right where you're at. But God's saying, but it doesn't mean you have to stay right where you're at strengthen what remains there's something left in you that i want you to work on that i want you to strengthen that i want you to 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 flex a little bit and then he goes on to say this he says wake up for i have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my god so this is jesus saying i have found your deeds your business your work unfinished don't even say it's bad he just says it's not done yet it's unfinished but then he says, it's not in my side, it's in the, it's in the side of my Heavenly Father, God. Um, I was reminded of, you know, so when I look at what it means to clean the house, fellas, I think you'll understand with me on this, and maybe the ladies too. My definition of a clean house is different than my wife's definition of a clean house. <laughs> I would clean the house, and then my wife would say, it's unfinished. I'm like, well, it looks finished to me. Like, and I'm, I'm constantly telling my kids, guys, I, you know, I agree, your room's not that bad. You know, I'll peek my head in, there's five pieces of clothing on the floor. I'm like, that's pretty good, you know? It's better than yesterday. There's like 400 piles of clothes. But sometimes I'll go to my kids and I'm like, guys, I'm just here to help you. Mom's coming. <laughs> and I love you. And I have plans for this day. And I want us to all have a great day. Okay, so I need you to get up and finish the business. You know your mom's standards. You know what your mom expects out of you. So do it. I'm just here to help. I'm here to save the day. I'm here to mediate. And sometimes, sometimes, I'll even wake my kids up on Saturday morning when they're supposed to be able to sleep in. Guys, wake up. Mom's coming. Now, let me ask you this question. If I wake my kids up to remind them that they have unfinished business, 
Am I condemning them or am I helping them? Is that a gracious act or a condemning act? Some people read the book of Revelation and they're just like, oh my gosh, it's doom and gloom. No, it's grace. Jesus is saying, guys, I've looked you over. I've looked you from top to bottom. And you've built a name for yourself. Good job. But I see you. I know your business. I know your deeds. And I know the standards of my Heavenly Father. And I'm here to tell you that you have some unfinished business. That's grace. That's us. That's us being helped. He's saying, I know the standard of holiness that, that my Lord required, that my God requires, that my Heavenly Father requires. And Jesus says, and I'm here to help. I hung on the cross for you. I'm going to help you become holy. I'm going to help you be righteous. You, don't, you can't do this all on your own. I'm here to help you with it. But he's saying, you've got some unfinished business, and I need you to, I need you to work at this. I need you to, 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 to work on this more. And so the question Jesus draws us into is to take us from the concept of building a name for ourselves and building his name for the kingdom. It's, a, it's just a different perspective, right? The church of Sardis had gotten distracted by all the glitter and all the gold and all the craziness and all the distractions that you and I get distracted by. And Jesus comes to remind them of this is why we're here. This is the real business. And he, he, so, so really Jesus comes to say that he wants us to pay attention to God's kingdom more than our kingdom. He says, I want you to give to God's kingdom more than you give to your own kingdom. I want you to serve God's kingdom more than you serve your own kingdom. I want you to build God's kingdom more than you build your own kingdom. And Jesus comes to remind the church of Sardis this, and he comes to remind us individually of this. Every day. Every day. Third thing he reminds us of is this. Number three, write this down. Hold on and let go. So if you go on in this text, verse three, it says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and hold it fast and repent. Jesus is saying there's some stuff that you need to get rid of and there's some stuff you need to be reminded of so that you can hold on to it. So the purification process that Jesus walks the church of Sardis through to help make this possible is he walks them through three things. So he calls them out, calls them out. Hey, I call your bluff. His very next thing is this says, wake up, strengthen what remains. Okay. So that's like, here's what you need to do. It's like a coach coming to the locker room. Guys, Get your heads out of your beep, you know. But then he's like, but we're going to get through. We're gonna, we can still win this game. You guys are better than this. You guys are a better team than them. And then what does a coach do? He pulls out the whiteboard and he starts going, okay, here's what we're going to do. Right? So it's conviction. It's correction. It's encouragement. And then it's game plan. Here's the game plan. So Jesus gives a game plan to the church of Sardis. The first thing he tells them is remember. Remember. Because we are the most forgetful people ever. We always forget what the Lord did for us. And so it says, remember, therefore, what you have received. So just stop for a minute. I think as a believer, as a believer in Jesus, as a committed believer, what have I received? I've received righteousness. I've received forgiveness. I've, I've been redeemed. I've received all of the fruits of the Spirit, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. Long all, all the things that we receive as believers, Jesus is like, I just want you to remember it. I want you to stop and remember. All the glitters is not gold. 
You've become distracted to the things of this world, and I need you to just pause for a second, and I need you to remember. And then the second thing he says, he says, first, remember. Two, hold on to it. Like, keep it. Uh, this word, this hold on, or hold it fast, in the Greek, was the Greek word tereo, and it means to guard, to keep, to observe, to reserve. So he's saying, you got to remember it, and then guard it. Like, like keep it. Don't, don't let the distractions of this world, every single day you're like a roller coaster. You remember, you forget, you remember, you forget. Hey, today, remember and hold on to it. And the reason he wants us to guard it is because it's under attack. The reason Jesus says, hey, I want you to remember all of the things that I did for you, but then I want you to really guard it because it's under attack. I've been trying to teach my son, um, you know, he, he loves basketball, Corey loves basketball, I love going to their games, it's like the funnest season of life. I'm like right in between where I don't have to wipe butts anymore, that's awesome, uh, and, and they're not quite teenagers yet, and I'm holding on, you know, for that ride, but I'm like right in this middle phase right here where they still like me, it's cool, and um, most of the time. And so my son plays basketball, and he's on this team that's really bad, they're terrible, hopefully nobody's watching that's on his team, because they're just, they're terrible. And I shouldn't have said that, but we're going to keep going. And so he's the only guy on the team that can dribble. So he doesn't want to be the point guard, but because he's the only kid on the team that can dribble, he's the point guard. And the problem is that he knows how to dribble, but he doesn't know how to guard it. Uh, he knows how to have the ball. He doesn't know how to keep the ball. So he knows how to catch the ball. He don't know how to keep the ball. And we're pretty good at catching salvation, but we're not always great at keeping it. So he'll come running down the court, you know, as point guard, and he'll, he'll dribble right up to his defender and just dribble the ball like this, right out, right out in front of him, basically saying, hey, I want to give you something. It's cool. It's the, it's the ball. It's the thing that I ever, all 10 people on the court right now want, and I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to put it out here for you right here. And I'm like, Jace, do you not realize that the thing in your possession, everybody on the court wants it. Like, it's, it's kind of what everybody's going after. Keep it. Guard it. I'm like, use an elbow if you have to. Like, bow somebody. Like, I'm not, I've said some not proud dad moments. I actually, this is terrible. I actually bribed my son. I said, I'll give you $5 for every foul you get. I will pay you. Put him on the ground. Put him on the ground. You know. He hadn't done it yet. It's not working. Maybe I need to up the ante. 20 bucks. <laughs> He's just soft. He's like his mama. Okay, Lord, Lord, bring it in, bring it in. Forgive me of my sins, Lord, I repent. <laughs> my daughter, on the other hand, she's like, oh, I'll knock them out, you know. But this is what Jesus is saying. I've given you the most valuable thing I could ever give you. Keep it. Guard it. Elbow the devil, put him on the ground, you know. I've given you holiness, live up to it. I've given you righteousness. I've given you joy. I've given you peace. Keep it. So he's telling the church of Sardis, and he's telling the church of today, us, remember. When, when life gets crazy, and you lose your mind, and you just want to knock people out, or you just don't know the world's going to hell in a handbasket, he's like, well, you just remember what I've done for you, and keep it, keep it, keep your peace, 
And then last but not least, he, he says something that's not quite as popular, but he says, and repent. Repent. Uh, Jesus is in the business of forgiving. You know this, right? But you know that Jesus doesn't forgive you unless you repent? That's why we talked about how conviction is such a gift. And we see conviction as this condemnation. Oh, I feel terrible. No, that's not what conviction is. Conviction is a reminder that you need to repent because waiting for you is forgiveness and righteousness and holiness and, and all of the things that come with it. And so this is a gift. Jesus is saying, hey, when you feel defeated, when you, when, when you, when, how do I strengthen what remains? Repent. Repent for getting it wrong. You know what makes good fathers good fathers? Their ability to repent to their kids. You know what makes good leaders good leaders? When leaders can look their employees in the eye and say, I am sorry. I messed up. Will you forgive me? You know what makes Christians good Christians? We repent. You just repent. Quickly. Quickly repent. Even if I don't even need to repent, I'm just going to repent. I'm going to... If I have any kind of prompting that the Holy Spirit gives me, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent. I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles were performed because they did not repent. So think about the consequences of this. The cities in which he was doing most of his miracles, they refused to repent. And it says that he denounced them. Now, in the Greek, the word denounced means to criticize severely to scold he scolded them because they wouldn't repent but in in revelation chapter 2 verse 5 this text we're studying just before that he was saying to the church of ephesus one of the other churches this is what he told the church of ephesus he says consider how far you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent i will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. I will remove the very thing that makes you light in a dark place. I will remove it if you don't repent. So he says to the church of Ephesus, he says, consider how far you have fallen. What he's saying is, think about it. Remember. It's okay to remember your sins and to remember the problems and to remember the issues and to remember your heart and remember the anger and remember the lust. Remember, he's like, remember it. Consider how far you have fallen and repent. It's not condemning, that's grace. He's like, all you gotta do is repent and I'll forgive you. Simple as that. Jesus is a forgiver. We should never remember that. So then it goes on, we gotta wrap this up. Revelation three, let's go back to our text. In verse three, he's he's gotta tell us what happens if we don't. He says, but if you don't wake up, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at the time I will come. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And they, who's he talking about they? Those who understand that all the glitters is not gold. They who understand to remember the goodness of God, to repent of the things and the places that have fallen. I remember the goodness of God. I hold on to it and I repent. Those people, look at your neighbor and say, you are they. We get to be the they. This is not somebody else he's talking about. This is us. It's like, if we'll do this, then we, we can even replace that they with a we, we will walk with him. He says, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will be 
uh, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. Dressed in white. All through Revelation, you'll find these white robes. He's like, we get to be dressed in, in white. We get to be dressed in the same robe, in the same, in the same white. In Isaiah 1.18, it says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, crimson they shall be like wool. So 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see the if. If we confess he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to conclude today by simply, I want us to, to take communion. So you should, have, you should have gotten one of these when you walked in here or at the Edmund campus. If you didn't get one, just shoot your hand up and we'll get one to you. There's a couple of hands going up. Shoot them up real high so they can see you here at, and at Edmund. If you raise your hand at home, I'm sorry, we can't help you. Just go get some Doritos and some apple juice, okay? Go get something in your living room right now. Be creative and, and join us. So I want to I end this message at the table, so to speak, where we're going to receive the elements. Um, it's really important before we do this that we examine our heart. Paul tells us to do this in Corinthians. He says, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup without examining their heart, right, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, your Bible says they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Oof. Let's not do that. Let's take a second and examine our hearts, okay? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not, you're, you're not in relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking you if you know religion or if you're at the Edmund campus and you, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to come into the family, to join, to believe, to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, repent of your sins, and Jesus will redeem you. He will buy you back. So, Father, before we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, um, we are examining our hearts. We examine ourselves in this moment. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Remind us of things that we need to deal with, with people, with ourselves, with um, sin that we've committed. Like you said to the church of Ephesus, see how far you have fallen. If we have fallen... Tell us, Lord, show us. Show us where we have fallen. We need to be redeemed. We are lost without you. So we examine our hearts for just a moment. If you're here today at the Edmond campus, I, I, something happened this morning here at the Oklahoma City campus that really just brought such an awareness to how short life is. Um, we were at the 9 a.m. service, and I was preaching this message just a few hours ago. And to my right, over on the right side of the auditorium, I started seeing a commotion, and people were moving around. And we had somebody literally die. Their heart stopped beating in the middle of church. And by God's grace, this lady was sitting next to a medical doctor, right next to her. I looked to my right, and he's here, Dr. Frank. He's still on the second row. He's giving chest compressions while I'm preaching and he and finds a pulse. Back to life. She's okay. Right? How awesome is that? Dr. Frank, thank you for being available. And 
we were talking afterwards and he said, he said, I told her, or I told some people that were here when she left, I said, if, she, if this would have happened at home, she'd, she'd died. She, no pulse, chest compressions, pulse came back. Ambulance came in while I was preaching. Ambulance didn't come in, that would have been hard. EMT came in while I was preaching. We stopped and prayed. Guys, our life is a vapor. It is a vapor. Eternity is just around the corner for us, whether you feel like it is or not. And if you want to bet on it, mm. I heard a guy say one time that he was talking to an atheist, and, and he told the atheist, he said, uh, you know, atheist, if you're right, and I'm a believer, and after I die, nothing happens, then I lived a good life. The Bible made me a better man, a better husband, a better father. It made me a better man. I was joyful. I was peaceful on this earth. And then he looked at the atheist and he said, but if I'm right and you're wrong, eternity is right around the corner, guys. And so if you're in this room or at the Edmund campus, if you're watching online, we can chat with you online too. Before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, can I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just one second? And I did not say that to scare you. I said that to comfort you. <laughs> That's grace. That's Jesus coming to invade your life and to seal your eternity. This passage that, that, that we read, that he comes and, and our name will be in the book of life. So let me read this to you real quick. Revelation 3, 5. It says, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. And then he says, verse 6, he's like, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.